0: Welcome to this latest edition of the University of Exeter Business School podcast. Today we're talking to Professor Nav Mustafi about his research and helping to reduce
1: waiting times in the NHS. Nav, good morning. Good morning, Toby. Thank you very much for the introduction.
0: Absolute pleasure. Thank you for talking to us today. First question, what are some of the main reasons behind waiting times in settings like the NHS?
1: One of the reasons for increase in the waiting times in you know, a country like the UK, we have aging population and people are living longer. But this work, which is on the longer waiting time, I'm looking at it from the perspective of the service delivery. So in those terms, there is a reduced capacity to meet the demand in a And this reduced capacity is because of several reasons, one of which is the less availability of NHS resources. For example, with the Torbay and South Devon NHS Foundation Trust, with which I started at the time in 2016-17, there were seven community hospitals. Now, this has been reduced to only three in a matter of two to three years. So although the demand exists, some of the services, because of budgetary reasons, do not exist anymore. The second point is that there are also cases where there are inappropriate attendances. So, people who do not need to be in an ANE department, who could have been seen at a different urgent care facility, again, that is non attendance based, they are choosing to go to A&E rather than to a different facility. One, one thing which is said is that some people are not getting appointments with GP, for example. They may lack the knowledge about alternatives and risk adverse behavior as well. So these are some of the important reasons.
0: I mean, I guess most people listening to this have experienced waiting times and the frustration as a patient waiting to be seen. But maybe you could talk through some of the wider consequences, both for patients and the NHS, because of these extended waiting times.
1: Of course, I mean, uh, we know that if we are faced with a a medical condition, we would like to be relieved of the pain, to be healthy again. So obviously for the patient, the longer the wait is, they are in this condition of uncomfort. So if we are able to reduce the waiting time, that works out for them. There is also the question of opportunity cost. If there are very long waiting times, we know that in the UK, you know, four-hour waiting time, or more than four hours, not uncommon. So then there is opportunity cost. If, if a patient could have been seen quicker, let's say in one hour time, then could have spent the three hours at a different place to do some other thing. From the perspective of the NHS, it is a very interesting question as well, because in the NHS, there is this target of 95% of the people who are coming to these facilities have to be seen, discharged or transferred to a different facility within a four-hour time window 95 percent so a breach rate accepted breach rate is five percent and although it is called as waiting time what it actually means the clock starts at the time a person first comes to the hospital and the four-hour target ends when the person is discharged or transferred or seen within four hours and that is where the clock stops so for the NHS if the waiting times are longer, then they are having to pay penalties as well, because they have breached the seven, five the percent threshold. And a lot of this is performance driven, as you know, the NHS funding. And obviously, for the doctors, people in the system, it is also causing a lot of stress, because they see that, okay, there are so many people who are waiting, some of them could have gone to a different place. And so we are actually taking time away for Patients who are in really life-threatening CDA condition or requiring urgent treatment. So there are issues both sides. And so you were motivated to help address this problem. Could you summarise
0: what your research looked at and then what were some of the main findings?
1: So when we started the work in 2016, we worked with the Torbay and South Devon uh, NHS Trust. And what we knew is that, and this is nationally, when you talk about a trust, you have one hospital with 24 hour AE facilities, and then you have several other community hospitals with facilities for minor injuries or MIUs or urgent care centers. So, when I looked at this data, what I could see is that the breach rate, which I discussed earlier, that 5% tolerance for AE departments. For Torbay, it was 25% breach rate for the a hospitals. But if you look at the other community hospitals with MIU facility, minor injury unit facility, then the breach rate was only less than 2%. So what I could then see was that there is a demand imbalance. And we also know from data from the NHS that up to 30, 35, 40% of the people do not actually need to be in an ANA department. So that is how the work was motivated. One of the main findings was that, and obviously the motivation is there, then how do we address the problem or how do we level the demand? For that, what I took was a data centric approach. I looked at the data which has been already collected by the NHS in their hospital information systems and see how we are able to turn this data, this real time data on waiting times and people as they come in, how can we meaningfully transform this data into information and offer it to the public? And that is how the app started.
0: So my understanding of that, now is then you you are putting, as you say, that information in the hands of the public. And is that really about trying to get patients to help address the problem themselves? So perhaps nudging, people will be familiar with this phrase nudging. Am I right in saying that? Uh,
1: That is exactly correct. And you have actually hit the point at the very right place. So we are looking at a type of behavior intervention called nudges. And what is a nudge? So a nudge is a way of motivating a person, a patient in this case, to select a facility which is good for them and making it easier for them to do do so. What does it mean? We know that the brain is supremely powerful. It does trillions of calculations per second probably, but still there is a lot of information overload. What nudge tries to do is to reduce this cognitive load by making some choices which are better for the user uh, a more preferable option and that is what nhs quicker does by using this real-time data on waiting times and then also combining this data together with real-time information on travel times to show a list of the combined weight plus travel, and then nudging them towards better alternatives. But one last thing I must say here, Toby, is that, and this is very important, is that there are patients, obviously, a lot of patients who really require emergency care, and for them, you have to be in a and department. So my work, the work of NHS Quicker, is for these inappropriate attendances who could be seen quicker if they maybe are able to travel a bit further away.
0: And in terms of what the impact of your work has been, can you talk us through that about how, I guess, people are using the app and how that has helped both patients and the NHS Trust themselves?
1: This app has been live for almost three years now. And one of the objectives of this work is obviously to understand the implications of this work or the efficacy, if I can say, the efficacy of real-time data in making appointment choices. So we have looked at the patient responses uh, in the last version of the app, which was released in February of this year. We integrated in-app questionnaire, which could only be answered by a user who he or she who chooses to answer them and they can actually say whether uh, NHS quicker helped them decide where to go and the response that we received, so this is the data from three months, is that around 78% of patients who were using the app and who decided to answer I responded saying that NHS quicker helped them where to go so, so so this is really good for us and then we did some secondary data analysis from the early adopters of the not driven NHS foundation trust and rdne and it shows a shift in demand right from ane to miu but again the shift could be for various reasons as a researcher what i want to know is whether even 5 or 10% of the shift from ane to miu is because of nhs quicker because the number is really large so that is ongoing process and as we get more data we want to understand what is the contribution of nhs quicker in making that shift is it 5% is it 10% and i'll be very happy if it is 20% <laughs> absolutely i'm sure
0: absolutely <laughs> And in terms of the work that you've done, I mean, it sounds very much like this is an ongoing research process. But in terms of the work you've done, what do you think are some of the implications in other health settings or even, in fact, other organisational settings?
1: one thing that we have been able to show i mean by we i mean us and together working in collaboration with local nhs trusts, that there are solutions which could be developed locally and could be scaled up we know the nhs it and nhs digital we know about a lot of solutions which are much of a top-down approach. And unfortunately, some of these don't work, or at least the first version, we know about the NHS phrase application, for example, and there are numerous other examples. But what we have shown with this work that we can co-develop solution locally and then scale up and which NHS Quicker has done. So that is a very important finding. The second thing is that how that it is possible, again, through this co-development process to, to unlock data and transform it in a way which is meaningful for a person. And obviously in the digital age, data is gold dust, but then you have to somehow meaningfully transform it in a way which could be realized. And for which we have used behavioral economics concepts like nudges, as you rightly mentioned. And the final thing I would like to touch upon is that it is possible to have an information architecture which can scale up. To give you an example, when we started the HAP, we had only three trusts providing data. Now we have got nine trusts and we cover all of Devon and Cornwall, one trust in Bristol, one trust in Somerset. We are now receiving live feed of a data from 27 centers. And this feed is not available like a open source data. It is available only to NHS Quicker, only to us. And again, through a collaboration with our partners. So I think these are the main three takings, I think, of this work.
0: That last point sounds incredibly powerful, as you say, data is everything in this digital age. And what's the ambition for NHS quicker? Is that to go more nationally?
1: Yes, we have considered this. What is the right? I mean, considering that it is also a research project. And we are talking not about seven to eight trusts, but in the UK, we have more than 150 trusts. So now you start understanding the scale of this. All our work with the NHS has been developed locally one by one. But now if I really want to scale it up to 152, NHS organizations. It is a huge task and it will be difficult for a university-led project. I mean, it's very good that we are providing through our research a tool which could be used for the community, but in terms of research publications and how much data is required, I believe that the coverage that we have now with the 27 centers is sufficient for us to answer the key research question, the efficacy of real-time data in making attendance choice decisions for the patient. And I hope that over time, NHS would see the results of this work. And then there is some way to transfer this project onto NHS so that it could be maintained in the long run.
0: Nav, thank you very much for spending time with us today and and telling us about this clearly very valuable piece of, of work that you've been doing. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Toby. Thank you very much for your time.